Welcome to Market Corner Conversations, sponsored by Foresight Health. This is where outcomes matter, customers count, and value rules. Market Corner Conversations is Foresight Health's regular podcast series. It explores the intricacies of market-driven health reform. We dig deep into the U.S. system's structural inefficiencies. We explain how its artificial economics and distorted business models rob the American people of the great health care they deserve. We identify and talk with innovative companies that are reinventing healthcare delivery by being better, faster, cheaper, and more customer-friendly. We have a terrific program today. Our guest is Kosro Shotobani. He's the president and executive director of the Project Santa Fe Foundation and the founder and CEO of Lab 2.0. Kosro is the former president and CEO of Tricor Reference Laboratories, where he led initiatives to improve health outcomes and lower costs by utilizing laboratory data as well as running the company. You'll see before too much longer uh, as we get into it that Kosro is a true revolutionary and has almost visionary ways of thinking about using laboratory data to identify diseases earlier, treat them more effectively, and help people lead uh, more productive, healthier lives. So, Kosro, welcome to Market Corner Conversation. Thank you, David. Maybe before we get into the the lab work and and all of the great things you're doing uh, professionally, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and how you ended up having a career in uh, in medicine and particularly in in laboratory sciences? I was supposed to be an architectural engineer in life. Four years into it, decided it's not right for me, and somehow I found my way into clinical laboratory medicine. And I am a proud medical technologist that uh, spent a few years on the bench, transfusion medicine, blood bank, microbiology, dabbled in a few years in sales and marketing, what I call the dark side, and eventually uh, managing a business development sales and marketing organization for a third largest lab in in the nation. Uh, succession plan myself into a new division opening innovation, sort of a R&D of how will we do business in the future. And then eventually found myself as a CEO of the clinical lab where all the mistakes and all the discovery, the ideation that we tried to kill, so it sort of became the beginning of Lab 2.0 in Trico Reference Lab where we saw a need that this needs to turn into sort of a, a movement of like-minded people and leaders, not just in the United States, and I'll share, but actually across the globe. I would argue Lab 2.0 has no borders. How we treat diabetes is exactly the same in rural area of South Africa, New, New Zealand, or New Jersey. We just need to exploit the data in a different fashion. It's a different business model for a different customer. I hope that gives you a snapshot what I've done the last 35 years. Well, you know, you may have started uh, as an architectural engineer, but you certainly are an engineer of of major change in the laboratory space. And uh, my guess is some of what you picked up early on in your education and career translate very effectively into what you're doing now. And sort of with with that in mind, can you give us a, a quick overview of the Santa Fe Foundation? Yeah, uh, obviously the name says it all. It began in Santa Fe. This stands for something truly counted towards human 
improvement as opposed to destruction. Um, I'm pleased to say that Project Santa Fe is now a legal entity. After two years, now it's turned into an organization. It is uh, now a tax-exempt, non-for-profit, and our governance are from nine well-known institutions that have pretty much similar thoughts about the future. These systems are Northwell, Geisinger Health System, Intermountain Healthcare, North Shore University in Chicago, University of Vermont, Henry Ford Medical Center, and Mayo Clinical Lab, and obviously my former lab, Tricor, in New Mexico. By the way, uh, Kosro, that's a really impressive group of, uh, of companies you're working with. Uh, I can see why you did it. Yeah, Cream of the crop. Kosro's seal of approval. Good. So the mission of the organization is quite simple. So valuation of the lab data, not testing, in a value-based care environment where our constituents and stakeholders are going at risk of a population with alternative payment model. And I would argue that really this has no borders and it's become an international conversation. I just concluded my 40th lecture around the world and I would also argue that the conversation of Lab 2.0 perhaps is moving a little bit faster outside the United States than in the United States because of the intricacies that U.S. has opposed to others called the managing of this volume and fee-for-service, sort of dichotomy of two different business models. When the payment models incentivize uh, early detection, health promotion, preventative care, then lab results take on a seemingly much more important role in, in early diagnosis, treatment, so on and so forth. With that as a little bit of a backdrop, Kosro, um, why don't you tell us more about Lab 2.0 and specifically about the role you think lab directors should have in the greater healthcare ecosystem where our goals really are aligned with the pillars that you outline, you know, better outcomes, healthier populations, better diagnosis, um, more productive societies, so on and so forth. To do that, if I may, let me establish uh, some highlights and some facts. First and most importantly, for every dollar we spend in healthcare in U.S., and I've learned across the globe, two cents, roughly two cents, goes into the, the entire diagnostics, including professional services. The two pennies, what I call the cheap date, gives us tremendous information that Lab 2.0 argues that we're not exploiting or leveraging the value based on the drivers where healthcare is really moving. It has the largest touch point than any other sector of the healthcare. If you look at the EMR, lab information is the biggest part. It's actionable. It has a predictive value. And it has a zero latency as opposed to claims that at best is about 60%. And most of the health systems and CEOs manage the future based on actuarial and claims that have tremendous latency effect. So if I could, if I may give you a bit of a visual, the role of the clinical lab, I would argue this based on what I just shared. Imagine that every health system currently, with a very little investment, they can actually become the meteorologist of the disease. 
that they have the ability real-time now, they can detect the onset of a condition early. They can actually predict the velocity of this progression of disease, such as CKD, and they can predict the impact by a zip code. So if lab director wants to be relevant of the future, they need to get out of the four walls of the lab and say they're not in a really in a testing business. They really are the bargain to manage 98 cents that really impacts outcome. If we don't put ourselves under that light, we will be measured on that two pennies and it's basically commoditized to maximum. And when we get to the bundle payment, sort of the DRG portion of the payment, we will be irrelevant if we're not demonstrating our quantitative value. Right. So we're sort of a pickle that we either need to demonstrate our value or we will be a target of outsourcing based on the changes that is coming our way in massive way. Yeah, and others will capture the predictive analytic uh, power of, of the tests, right? So it's either rise, step up to the challenge now or, or let others take it away from you. Kosro, what what does the other ninety eight cents go to? I assume it's mostly for treatment, but maybe administrative as well. Or well, one of the argument that we make the two pennies is really is uh, <clears throat> we're sort of the first responder, sort of the time to diagnosis and diagnostic optimization. That obviously leads to a care optimization, that leads to therapeutic optimization, and eventually surveillance model, which is the foundation of a population health. But if we are looking at today's model, we wait until the person is sick. He or she may be able to access a care. After tremendous headache and what have you, that the way the healthcare is designed today, eventually they may see a physician. Physician then hypothesize a theory and says, let's run some test. At that time, lab is a one-off. I would basically say the delay in that diagnosis until the sick has occurred, has a huge bearing in taxation how we manage healthcare. Let's take CKD. It goes from stage one to stage two, stage three. It's irreversible um, model, then you are for life the customer of dialysis. Right. Whatever right. happened to stage one and to stage two? Yet clinical lab actually measures all of that. Right. But because our payment and incentives have not been aligned with the drivers of where we need to be, We've basically been busy in managing the volume and basically been excited in life based on contribution margin we've achieved from the volume. Those days are numbered and those days are going away. And if we don't change the way we manage our business, we will be irrelevant ourselves. So 98 cents goes into significant amount of reactionary process. And I would say a lot of burden that goes into it misdiagnosis is one of the key elements. So in the clinical lab, we actually brag about six sigma performance in the analytical stage. David, I would argue that when it comes to pre-analytical and post-analytical, we're, mi- we're failing miserably because overutilization, misutilization are significant issues. And as we're moving towards value-based healthcare, underutilization, I would argue, still remains to be a challenge of the future. So those are all have administrative burden. And I would argue that lab is a bargain to resolve some of this. Right. Well, um, I mean, this is almost going to seem like a, a stupid question. 
what you're saying makes so much common sense, right? We have the information. We understand the analytics and the predictive power that taking early lab tests into consideration that we could do a much better job of disease identification, uh, aligning treatment with, with disease in early stages and so on. We could really make value-based care uh, a much more powerful reality. So why don't we? What are the forces that are, are fighting what appears to me a very logical argument you're making, which is, um, you know, laboratory tests in combination with big data and powerful analytics have enormous potential to fundamentally reshape the way we, uh, we diagnose and treat people with significantly better outcomes at lower costs. So, so who's fighting it? First of all, maybe I can borrow an old saying from my late father that just because you put a brand new saddle on an old donkey doesn't mean donkey's going to go any faster. <laughs> so we're in new frontiers that there are no precedents. We argue that there's a leadership gap, there's a knowledge gap, there's a playbook gap, there's actually a data gap, believe it or not, and obviously the business model itself. And if we don't sit, step into the future in a measurable fashion, obviously our value is going to dim diminish fast. And so we have to be an agile organization. We have to be iterative. And we can't just wait and see that we have a proof of concept we, because what we've done in the past is not going to have a bearing on the future. And if you wait, our contribution margins are going to basically yeah. go completely away we will be the target of outsource. I have no problem with outsourcing stuff. I've done it in my own um, tenure as a CEO, but when a department gets outsourced to manage the cost, my argument to C-suite is, how are you going to preserve the clinical competency that comes from this department that you may not have in the future, and you need that in the future? Right. Why don't we start? I think it starts with ourselves first. We have to tell a different story that is measurable, quantitative, and problems that C-suite care about. The days of just getting into the four walls of the lab and focus on analytic only, those days are no longer valid. Yeah. We got to tell our story that, that is relevant in issues that surround your own value-based care, triple aim or quadruple aim. Clinical lab touches all of those. We just have to tell a different story that truly matches that by having a seat at the table. By the way, I, I love your, your father's story about putting a, a new saddle on an old donkey. Um, it reminds me of what Ian Morrison uh, described uh, healthcare like the MTV show, you know, Pimp My Ride. You remember that show where you'd take a jalopy, you'd take a jalopy and you'd put all this great stuff on top of it, but underneath you, you still had the jalopy. So if if I'm to kind of read through what you're saying, uh, Kosro, um, the devil here is standard operating procedures developed under a fee for service payment model that. Um, rewards activity, doesn't reward value, and all the bad habits that organizations and, and labs, uh, along with so much other else in healthcare, have, have developed that don't enable them to see this obvious reality staring them in the face, that they could be so much more effective. True. 
having sort of made that case, what are the two or three things that you would tell the C-suite about labs and, and getting it right? And importantly, are these organizations like Northwell and the others that you listed, do they get it? Well, I think that this lab 2.0 has sort of um, attracted individuals that truly subscribe to belief that I'm actually sharing. And by the way, what I'm sharing, there's no novelty what I'm sharing. We as an industry have known that we needed to be in this space at some point in time. I would argue due to fee-for-service and volume, we sort of became complacent and we basically managed what was coming our way and we did not add innovation that basically matches and aligns itself to changes in the future. And all of a sudden, boom, future is right in front of us. I would say that the, all the governance of our board get it, promote it, and they push this hard. Obviously, it's a movement. It doesn't belong to a small group. It is not a cult. It's not a club. So one thing that I neglected to share with you, we trademarked the Project Santa Fe Foundation to create the legal entity. But by design, we did not trademark the word Clinical Lab 2.0 movement because we felt strongly that belongs to the industry. And it has the key attributes that the industry needs to adopt. And we believe that the rise of tides floats all boats. For those that make the decision not to be part of, or those health systems that they sell a portion of their lab or outsource the lab, it's going to limit their ability to play in this game. So data, not testing, is the admission to the party. So what are the things that C-suite should really know about this? First and most important, hold on to your clinical labs and the core competency and the value of the data that it actually brings to the table by outsourcing even the outreach piece. It basically arguments that you're basically losing the predictive value of the outreach side of your business. At some point, that patient is going to come on, on the system and if you're selling that piece, you're not going to know anything about that. So one thing that I need to clarify, it's not about one single data that is the key for Lab 2.0. It's basically creating a longitudinal data, connecting yeah, the course. outpatient of to course. inpatient. Right. And we're measuring the change, and that change is actionable. Yep. So by selling a piece of your business, you're basically cognitively making the decision that this is not your game. And it may be a short-term gain for a long-term loss. So hold on to your lab. And by creating a repository of the data, it's going to put the lab to do the next four, four steps that are critical for population health. Yep, I got Lab's it. ability to risk stratify the population against the conditions health system are going at risk. Two, identify the care gaps and ability to help close gaps in cares. Three, identify the high-risk patients early before they're admitted in hospital or emergency room. And the last piece, I would argue, is a brand-new business model. It is a new product and begs the question whether it deserves a new payment, our ability to facilitate intervention between a patient or consumer in their own zip code with a care manager, mm -hmm. what I call the Uber of the medicine. And if we're connecting the dot that improves outcome and reduces overall cost, 
we can negotiate or potential new allocation or methodology of payment that hasn't been in before. By the way, this model exists today in New Mexico, and it's gaining momentum. In Medicaid populations, and military populations, who? Specifically, started with the Medicaid population. Okay. Our pilot had to do with prenatal that significantly were failing to give basic need for women to bear their child. We're about 30 to 40 percent below nation, and U.S. actually is below international and prenatal mortalities on a rise, yet I'm a believer that clinical lab can actually help close that gap. We were able to demonstrate that we were able to close care gaps, reduce preterm delivery, reduce NICU, reduce the ER visit, and we were able to demonstrate financial risk on it. Yeah. And if we can do that in prenatal, if we can do that with opioids, what is our reason not doing this for chronic conditions that are on a massive rise in the U.S.? We ended up saving between prenatal about 4.4 million. This is one payer, small payer, 4.4 million dollars. If we added the comorbidity of a prenatal to diabetes and hepatitis C, that jumped to 8.9 million. When we took the same model and put it into a much larger IDN, Presbyterian, it jumped to 19.8 million, as opposed to managing two pennies. The power of that was just huge. But, you know, it took me about five years being punching bag of the board to finally saying, okay, we'll play. It wasn't an easy gratifying, okay, you're in. But I think it's a different day today. Savings are huge what we can bring to the table, but improving up the outcome. That's where we really will shine. Yeah, and, and my, my whole point on this is you got to find people that actually care about improving outcomes. I'm curious, Kosro, if, if you've been able to talk to lab directors at integrated delivery systems like Kaiser or potentially the VA or um, the military, organizations that, that clearly own, uh, like the state does in New Mexico, the care management risk for distinct populations. Kaiser uses uh, telemedicine significantly more than um, than other providers, and I think that's due in part to the fact that they own the own the care management risk. Are integrated providers, vertically integrated health companies like that, more aware of the potential of uh, benefits of a enlightened policy to to clinical labs? Actually, more than fifty or sixty percent of our institutes institutions in our board are actually in IDM. Okay, but I would make this argument. Just because you're IDN or integrated delivery network does not constitute that you are lab 2.0. I would also make the argument you may not be actually lab 1.0. I need to make this clarification. Just because lab 1.0 is and will remain essential part of medicine because when you're sick, we need to help the physician choose the right test at the right time for the right patient. That responsibility doesn't go away. Lab 2.0 is sort of post-diagnostic computation that really focuses on value-based and population health. We're not waiting for patient. We're actually looking for that needle in the haystack to see who needs intervention in the future based on the data we have on that patient. But, and I need to clarify one other thing. Just because we're doing this doesn't mean we're selling anyone's data or sharing anyone's data we're just taking that longitudinal data and convert it into clinical action. Sure. 
I don't believe that selling data is actually the right thing, or I actually believe it's a predatory business. It's not ours to sell. But our role as a clinical lab of a health system is actually measure change and turn that into action that leads to clinical intervention, clinical prevention, and lastly, cost avoidance. Yep. No, couldn't agree with you more. I'm going to have one final question for you. I'm going to ask you to you know, gaze into your crystal ball and look forward five years and and tell me what you think the state of clinical laboratories will be, or what percent of, of Americans will actually get to experience the benefits of, of Lab 2.0. Will we see the second coming here of, uh, of uh, real improvement in, in how we use lab data and lab results and combine it with other data to truly transform the way we provide care? Yeah. Let me maybe come back with this question, and then I'll try to answer your Okay. Your question, too. It's kind of like asking the yellow cab of 10 years ago and saying, in what point do you think that Uber is going to touch your customers? Now coming back to old way of managing sick yeah. care, and we're basically saying, in what way do we think that Uber of the medicine is going to impact not just patient, but consumerism? And and, and I have to be realistic. Nothing is going to happen overnight. We're not going to boil the ocean. I honestly think that this is a journey. There are significant challenges ahead of us for us before this becomes way of life, such as policies. CMS doesn't pay for uh, screening. It mm-hmm. pays for diagnostic. That's a problem. The high, the, the high deductible health plans have unintended consequence that does not motivate or incentivize consumer to go annual annual screening. So we've got to change and educate consumer and policymakers to be thinking differently. But boy, there's so much room for improvement, right? Absolutely. But one tangible timeline we know, in three years, we will be end of the fee-for-service and we will be stepping into the bundle payment. The sense of urgency is going to be at its height. If we as an industry aren't pushing this harder than ever, I think that there will be some significant negative impact on healthcare or lab labs across the country. It's adapt or die time, right? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. And exciting, actually. No, it's it's what I call an existential opportunity. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. This is a good place to land. Kosro, you've made a very powerful case for why we should view the operations of clinical labs in a completely different light. You've illustrated the power that using clinical lab data can improve early diagnosis, improve outcomes, lower costs, and even more uh, to the point, we know how to do it. We just have to get it done. So thank you very much for everything you do. Thank you for being on Market Corner Conversations and, and keep up the great work. It's an honor, sir. Thank you, David. If you're frustrated with healthcare, if you want to understand how the system is reinventing itself through relentless bottom-up market-driven reform, please subscribe to our podcast at foresighthealth.com. Be a rebel with a cause. Help us fix American healthcare. Until next time, this is Dave Johnson.